Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, welcome to Rule the Roost. My name is Jack, see? I can say my name's Jack. I don't just say to Trunk. Um, cut that bit out, Raj, mate. Um, I don't want to know my name's Jack. Hello, Raj. How you doing, mate? I'm not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Good, thank you very much. I, uh, I'm i still missing True Detective, but I'm, I'm reading a very good book at the moment. What is it? I can't actually remember what it's called, you know. How good is it, then? It's, it's proper good. It's about... Um, Wait, hang on, what's it called? Martin, um, here's a who. No, <laughs> Fuzzbuzz. Um, no, it's called something like The Falls or something. Shit. Um, I don't know, but it was the... Who's it by? I don't know that either. I just started reading it yesterday. I've read like... Why have you, why have you brought it up then? I've read about actually live. 200 pages of it already, and it's so good. It's called The Shock of the Fall by Nathan... Nathan Filler. Filer. Nathan Filer. Um... It's very good. It's very nice. It's almost... Have you read uh, A Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night? No. Then go for I don't like dogs. Read it. Read it. It's a very good book. You should read it. It's about autism. Autism Awareness Day today as well. You should be wearing blue. I am wearing blue, but not for, not for that reason. Um, blue shorts on. There you go. Autism Awareness Day. Hashtag. Um, it's a book club now. I don't know what it is. It's a shit show. Much like... Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Well, I was just going to say, if, if, um, if anyone's interested in what I'm reading, I'm currently in the middle of um, How I Escaped My Certain Fate, The Life and Deaths of a Stand-Up Comedian by Stuart Lee, which is really good. Um, if you're interested in people that are actually funny and like are self-aware and very good at what they do, then I suggest you read that by Stuart Lee and all of his... Comedy vehicle things are on iPlayer at the moment to go and watch and laugh at somebody who's actually intelligent rather than, you know, Michael McIntyre or whatever shit is on TV at the moment if you've got more than one brewing cell. But given that you probably listen to this show, I'd imagine that you don't. Well, I was going to say, all oh, rule the roost. And this is the fucking strangest start into the show we've ever had before. Why are we talking about books we're reading? I don't know. Let's let's go on to our uh, our chairman's announcement he made today. That apparently the the stadium is going to be with us by 2017, and we've made a 1.5 million pound profit. I read you a little excerpt um, from from the chairman's statement. Do uh, it in his voice. Do it in his voice. Good mate, I'm one step ahead of you already. Do you think I'm gonna well, think I'm gonna pass up the chance to do my one trick? Um, yep. Never. Um, so he says here. This season, we have had to make significant 
changes, both in respect to coaching and playing staff, yet we are currently only two points less than last season's tally. Whilst this season's performances and results have not lived up to expectation, we believe our squad has the potential, and it is important that we all now show commitment and teamwork to get the best possible finish this season. We have fantastic strong support. Our current 36,000-seater stadium sells out, and the waiting list for season ticket holders is currently in the excess of 47,000. Bollocks. We cannot stress strongly enough how critical the new stadium is over the long term to these raised expectations. Expectations that you raise mainly, Daniel. We have the smallest capacity stadium of any club in the top 20 clubs in Europe, let alone the current top four in the Premier League. And given we now operate within UEFA financial fair play rules, an increased capacity stadium and associated revenues is fundamental to supporting the future ambitions and consistent achievement at the top of the game. He then goes on to essentially say that, you know, we're going to build a new stadium. It's funny that these kind of statements come out, not when all the supporters really wanted it, when he actually sacked AVB, but now that the season tickets are up for renewal and we suddenly get this figure again that we're going to have a stadium in 2017. Um, I don't know if you've seen the other tour today, mate, but there's been... There's been... Uh, chat about yeah, Upton Park. Well, yeah, that when essentially when West Ham leave Upton Park in, I think it's 2015, at the end of 2015, 2016, we take Upton Park for the 2016, 2017 season and then move into the new thing, which I suppose is good in a way. I was kind of worried that he was going to moot a whole, uh, let's just move in and share the Olympic Stadium. Oh, look, the North London Development Plan can't happen anymore. We'll just stay here. Um, no, what I think it actually is, is um, what I believe is, because it's not the first time that Upton Park has been brought up. Um, it was brought up a season or so ago, I believe. Uh, I remember reading about it. I may have just made that up, but I definitely think I, rem- I remember reading about it before, um, as well as moving into Wembley temporarily, is to fast-track the building process, because... I don't know if you remember the original plans. It's there was like that whole, staggered, wasn't it? Knocked down. The, yeah, the elaborate twist, twist the stadium while playing in half White Hart Lane while uh, the rest of new White Hart Lane was built around White Hart Lane like some sort of fucking stadium inception. Um, but I believe doing that would actually halt the process of building the, the stadium, really, because it would mean that we'd have to wait until season over and things like that. Whereas if we were just to demolish existing White Hart Lane and start afresh, then it'd be a much quicker process. So in that in that case, it actually makes a bit more sense. Where I think he wants... Because he, there's always an ulterior motive with Levy and it's always fun trying to second-guess him. What I think he, he tried to do, this is my own crackpot theory, by the way, um, was with Upton Park, if he managed to get hold of it and buy it off them um, before they sold it to whichever development company they had what he would then be able to do is, once we'd played in it for a seed and rebranded it and done whatever we needed to to make, you know, try and placate fans as he usually tries to do, you know, paint the seats blue and what have you and take all the West Ham badges down and, you know, all that business. Um, he'd have been able to sell it for himself, wouldn't he? And he'd have, he'd have been able to make a tidy profit out of that as well. Of course. But there's no way he would have lost any money. And I think for, as a business side, that would have been probably his ideal plan because we'll... The FA will have us paying through his arse as to play at Wembley for a season. They'll 
they'll want as much money as they can. They'll probably want a little bit off the gate as well, um, just because they're, they're so heavily in debt with the, the overspend they had on that. So I think that's what he's trying to avoid, because if there's a, a set of cunts that will try and grab a penny out of you as, as much as Daniel Levy will, it's the FA. So it's, um, you know, I think that's it. But, you know, as long as this stadium gets built, I mean, there's been quite a few people today who've been um, quite condescending towards the the importance of the stadium, you know, they, they seem to have interpreted this statement as him saying everything will be okay as soon as that stadium is built. And of course that's not the case. But as we've seen said previously on this show, in terms of like the revenue it'll be, be it'll, it'll bring, bring to the club, sorry, I couldn't even think of the word, um, it's it's invaluable really. It'll help us with our day to day overturn and, and you know, cash flow and the wages we'll be able to spend on players. Um and I think the the big quote for me that stood out the most is that the fact that we had even though we were in the top twenty clubs in Europe in terms of financial expenditure or whatever bollocks that was, we had the smallest ground and that's not a, a throwaway fact. That's in in the business run world that football is, that's that's quite a big deal. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's unfortunate that it is the case because more often than not, these new stadiums are pretty kind of vapid, soulless kind of dumps. But you know what you're going to do? That's it. You got to you got to move with it if you actually want success. We need a new stadium, and that's that's a fact. Um, what do you? Uh, what do? Well, I don't really want to go on about Liverpool too much, but that wasn't pleasant, was it? No, um, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. To be honest, yeah, just um, I thought you, I thought you cut out there, mate. To be honest, I thought no, I... it was just you know Liverpool wasn't. Very, uh, to be honest, I think the saddest thing about it was the fact that it was so expected. I don't think any of us at all were. I think so the saddest deluded. thing was Bentaleb and Sigurdsson as holding midfielders with Dembele and Sanjo on the fucking bench. Well, uh, I mean, there's been. Sandra's been playing with these painkilling injections, as we've been told, and it's not the most ideal situation for him to be in. Um, I'm sure it's not comfortable for him to be playing, and we've said before, he's probably not at his best because he's having to play in that sort of situation. But um, I'd have played him. If he if he thought... I mean, last week we got the, the explanation that because Bentaleb had told him that... Not Bentaleb, sorry, Dembele had told him that he was fit enough to play, he took it from word of mouth that he was a professional footballer and said that he was fit enough to play. If Sandro's not fit enough to come on at any point and these injections are so important to him, why is he even travelled? Why is he wasted a spot on the bench for him? And, you know, it's, it, that, that made no sense to me whatsoever. Um, especially with Sigurds and Holden, I think it's because he, he thought he could repeat the trick of last week, where we'd where we'd look better once he'd come on for Dembele. Um, but it was two completely different beasts that we were facing. Um, so that was very odd. But I mean, we were all resigned. Well, I didn't, anyone with half a brain was resigned to defeat beforehand. I mean, that's not a situation that anybody ever wants to be in as a as a fan of any sort of sporting club. But it was um, it was it wasn't the best really. It's crazy how Liverpool, though, you know, it was only a couple of years ago we beat them 4-0 at White Hart Lane and then 2-0 at Anfield. Um, and we, we were almost expected to, to be getting results like that against them because that's how far ahead of them we were. And how there's just been this complete about turn now. But well, I think what, what stuck out for me most during the game was the 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 visual... Well, yeah, obviously the visual, but the, the the just the very clear 
difference in the desire from the players themselves. Liverpool's players seem to just really, really want to win. And a lot of I mean, a lot's been made. They have something to play for. Before the game. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. You can look at it that way, but you'd still like to think, in an idealistic sense, that your players are going to be up for it. But maybe they're just not, and that's where the manager falls down. Why is the manager sat in the stands? He gets or a better there? view, doesn't he? Well, there's two different um, things that he said. Apparently, he gets a better view of it. Which, to I'd say to him, you're not a rugby coach, and you know, Avi B took the opposite of that. You remember him used to, he used to haunch down and watch the game from a. Oh, from the squats, the Avi B squats. I miss. I you. mean. How his bum used to look so good in his tight suit pants when he did that. Um, and the other thing he said is, after that Jorge Jesus thing and after the, the gilet throwing and what else, whatnot, other stunts he's pulled, he's 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 almost done it because he, he says he, he feels like he can't get into any trouble when he's up there. I think the actual quote that he came out with was that he couldn't, he didn't feel like he could affect the game, which if you're the manager of a football club is a fucking atrocious thing to be saying. But um, the list of atrocious things that Sherwood has been saying is longer than my arms. But, um, I mean, the excuses he gives for being up there, the way I interpret it is if you can't trust yourself to behave as a professional human being, being in the vicinity of another on the touchline, but you you have to restrain yourself and impose yourself your own touchline ban, it's a ridiculous set of circumstances to be in. So it's like you're not a child, you're a... You're a grown man. Why can't you just do your job on the touchline, shake the other guy's hand and get on with it? It doesn't show passion to me. That thing that he's he he, he wants to like show that he's got so much, that passion that, you know, he's a Tottenham fan for all of his life, he says, the Guna cunt. And he just, <laughs> he's a walking contradiction. And then he'll come out after the game and uh, that quote after the Southampton game where he said it took him guts and he wants to, it's almost like a massive little... Everything he does is almost like a PR stunt. Although I don't think he's clever enough to have pre-thought it. I think he's actually doing... He thinks he's doing the right thing, but it just comes across as so self-centred and such a, a sideshow to the actual football that it's it's just disappointing to see. It's just the fact that we have to talk about where our manager's been for the duration yeah. of the game we've been spanked in is just unfortunate. What did you You've make? got the angry-looking crick. Well, I just, yeah, you've covered all bases there, mate. You're just, <laughs> you, you've got the angry looking Chris Ramsey on the bench. Right? He is a terrifying looking man, Chris Ramsey. But he's the only one out of the three of them between him, Ferdinand and Sherwood that I would actually want to stay at the club any longer. I mean, what does, what does Sher, um, not Sherwood, sorry, what does Ferdinand actually do? Do you remember when he was brought into the club to be our strikers coach and we'd just scored the most amount of goals we we ever had? It, I think it was just after the 9-1 against Wigan or something he was brought in. And then the next few games afterwards, we failed to score. I do, pretty much sums it up. I think it's just one of those marketing things, though, isn't it? It's that whole kind of, let's bring back, Legends, how fast and loose the term legends used nowadays. Um, I think it's part partly that, isn't it? Like, let's let's try and bring back all these top old boys. Let's get the fans all happy again. And I also think there's a part of it where Harry Redknapp's trying to instill those kind of English characters into it. You know, let's put in that archetypal English striker to try and you know give these foreign lads a bit of a kind of a, a, a schooling in what it means to play. Over here, I don't know. Just me speculating, but that's kind of the way I've always perceived that sort of 
Yeah, I know. Can we just stop talking about this now and go on to Sunderland? And we're this evening joined by Gareth from the Wise Men Say podcast. How are you doing, Gareth? Not bad, yourselves? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. How, how are you doing, Raj? I'm not too bad. It's good to hear. I, I wasn't actually on the last time um, Gareth came on Roll the Roost. He had a lucky escape from my... Uh, from my inane and crap banter, I said the word banter, I did. Um, but you're going to suffer tonight, Gareth, so sorry about that, mate. Right, I'll bring my own banter to the table, don't worry about it. That's good, that's good. And I was going to say, suffering, but just casting my eye over your, your sort of recent results, it seems like as a Sunderland fan, you've been doing quite a bit of suffering recently. Do you want to give us a... Give us a uh, an idea of what the what the atmosphere's like at the stadium light at the moment, mate, because it's, it's looking pretty bleak. Yeah, well, would you believe it? It's about a month to the day tomorrow that we were in the Capital One Cup final. I'm actually sitting the, the tickets on the desk with the, the Mac, so I'm looking at it now. Sorry, it was a year to the day, 2nd of March. A month to the day, 2nd of March. Um, feels like a year, um, to be honest. Um, what it, you know, everyone was on a high bouncing, you know, we were, you know, we were in the cup final, you know, give a good account of ourselves, even when we lost. Then, up to the following week, we had Hull, another chance to go back to Wembley, messed it up. Um, and then since then, it's just been an absolute disaster. I mean, since, in fairness in the league, we haven't played a lot of league games until recently because of the cup run, but since the 1st of February, until that, our goal against Liverpool was the first league goal we'd scored since the first of February. Um, yeah, we, we you know we're struggling big time. Really, we just you know lacking confidence. Um, you know, we we just make stupid mistakes. Um, you know, can't defend set pieces, can't take our chances. The few we create, um, can't seem to find the players to fit into a system. Um, and we've tried a number of different things. Uh, the January signings haven't really worked out, um, apart from maybe Bridcut and Osari, the goalkeeper, when he's played, he's done okay. But obviously, we signed Santiago Virgini. I don't know if you've seen any of the games he's played, but he's had a couple of nightmares. Um, and uh, Nacho Scocco, who is a highly rated striker from, um, we signed him from a Brazilian side in Nacional. He was uh, there with uh, Damayao, who were you after, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, and um, Forlan, um, I think they've both moved on as well. Need to score a lot of goals for Newell's old boys, and we brought him in in January. And he just, you know, he was in the middle basically the start of his pre season, and he just hasn't settled. So they've made, you know, no impact whatsoever. So apart from, you know, not winning a game for months and being four points adrift in the bottom three, and a bit of a disastrous January transfer window and not knowing where the next win's coming from and having 12 players on loan out of the contract leaving in the summer regardless of what division we're in everything's fine really <laughs> I mean you beat Newcastle really heavily all the time that's good surely <laughs> well we'll have to beat Middlesbrough all the time next season the way it's going <laughs> well I mean is that the way it's going do you think though can you do you think this, you're going to escape the drop or do you reckon you're gone um, you know, come mon- uh, Monday night, about half seven, I'll probably be convincing myself that we can get a result at Tottenham and then go on to our next game, Everton at home. And then we've got, you know, if we can, obviously if we can beat Spurs, we're back in it. And then, 
you know, Everton is home, which is going to be tough. And then we've got, um, I can't remember another, I've probably blitted it from my mind because it's so scary. Chelsea away. So we've got Spurs and Chelsea on the next three games. And then we've got Cardiff at home. So it's the worry that we could be too far back by the time we get to that Cardiff game to really have any hope left to cling on to, you know, leaving yourself. I mean, our last relatively, you know, straightforward home games on paper against Cardiff. Um, then we've got West Brom and Swansea. Um, you know, but we're not, you know, our record against those teams around us at home is just absolutely appalling. I mean, obviously, as a Tottenham fan, you'll, you'll know that playing the teams around you, the games you need to win. And when you don't win them, <laughs> Uh, or you get heavy, very heavily beaten in, in, in Tottenham's case, which is pretty unfortunate. Um, it's it's not very pleasant, really. It's, I mean, the last time I spoke to you, Gareth, you were a bit more chipper than this, I have to admit. Yeah, because we were in the middle of that uh, nice little cup run and everything was sort of turning around and, you know, Poyet was thing and it's just, you know, just confidence. I mean, the writings are already got eight games left, or four points adrift. Um we can't beat we you know at home this season. Um, we've lost to Villa and West Ham and Fulham, and we drew with Palace and we drew with Norwich. Um, and you know we haven't we've taken like two points to from those games at home. We've scored two goals um, in those games. Um, you know we've, we haven't we've got I think with the lowest home scorers in the Premier League. Um, and every time we come every week, it's a must-win game, and we're just not we're not getting even a point in some cases. We're just not getting results. The only team we beat down the bottom really is Hull is Stoke. Um, we beat Newcastle yeah. and we beat Man City, and that's it. I mean, well, the, yeah, go on, Raj. Go on, Jack. Well, I was just going to say, you know, if we're looking at kind of where Spurs are going wrong at the moment, many people would say that it's probably our defence, in particular, like our full-backs and their. You know, lack of kind of support for the centre backs. The fact we've got no real creativity in midfield, and Tim Sherwood. <laughs> I mean, if you had to sort of name the three things that I know you've kind of you've touched on it at the start, but if you had to name kind of the three things in a pretty sort of concise fashion, what would you pinpoint as your kind of weaknesses at the moment, and what's attributing to this season? Because you've got a decent squad. I'm having a look through it now. You've got some good players. Um, well, I mean, I would say the main overriding problem that I would pinpoint is that we're still stuck with a lot of these players who, you know, Steve Bruce signed. Um, that's the first problem. I mean, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll give you some a couple of overriding problems and I'll give you the, the problem on the pitch. Basically, that's one of them. The second is obviously we we had a terrible with just crap in the transfer market. We had a dreadful summer window. We signed 14 players. I mean, Manoni's been decent, but actually very good. Um, Barini and Key, but they're on loan. Um, you know, they're going to be gone probably in the summer. Um, Key might stay if we stay up. Um, but yeah, we just haven't. We still stuck. You know, we're still picking from. These players that Bruce brought in, you know, we've got O'Shane Brown um, at the back, who on they're very good, but you know, they're getting on now. Um, we've got in the middle of the park, you've got um, Larson and Gardner, who just, you know, Larson's done okay for a period, but he's not been great. Gardner just, 
you know, he's been Sunderland for three years and he scored a few spectacular goals, but that's it. But I'd say on the pitch at the moment, the main issues are we can't score goals, um, we can't create chances, and uh, we can't defend. So L- Larson, he almost he, he feels like one of those sort of like a, a, a luxury player in the respect of I've seen him have a few decent games and he's actually looked pretty decent against us. And he is one of those players that I always think, oh, they've got Larson, yeah, he, he'll cause us some problems. But is he, I take it he's just one of these players that will disappear for five games, have a really good game and then disappear again. I wouldn't even say he disappears for five games and then comes back and have a good game. I'd say he's average all the time. He's <laughs> match of the day player. He's a match of the day player, you know, that, that's how I describe him. He might do, you know, but he hasn't done those things recently. You know, he hasn't scored a free kick in about two years. That's not an exaggeration. Um, first season, Larson scored seven goals. Um, he's kind of like moved into the centre of the park now. Um, and you know what? To be fair to him, in the big games, he's he's a clever player, and he's you know he always gives everything, and he's you know he's conscious of his role, and he does a lot of dirty work. Um, he breaks a lot up. He drops in, covers space, but. You know, he doesn't create opportunities. Um, you know, his free kicks have gone to pot. You know, he corners occasionally, but, you know, the, it's, the stats say it all. He's played a lot of games and we've scored like 13 goals at home all season or something like that. It's, it's not good. It might even be less than that, you know. I can't, I can't, I don't got the start at the top of my head, but, but, I mean, he's been in and out. But, the, you know, that is a thing, you know, we, Key is probably, you know, our best attacking midfielder from a sense that he could possibly create something but he's I mean, drifts drifts in and out in patches and like you know he's on loan and people sort of level the accusation that maybe someday he doesn't really fancy it I don't know if that's entirely fair um, I mean it's, it's just we can't you know we can't create chances and Barini's been playing sort of from a wide position which um, you know a lot of people have commented on Sort of thing should be playing through the middle, which I think is correct because our forward options through the centre. I mean, Fletcher has been. I mean, I know you linked Fletcher in January. I think we discussed that, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I was like, if you want a Scottish soldado, then you know, buy Stephen Fletcher. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, I mean, Soldado a better player than he always has been. But, you know, Fletcher's been out of form and injuries. Out the door's just been. He's tried hard, but he's been a disaster, really, as a signing. Um, I'm a better footballer than Jody Holter. <laughs> I, th- I, genuinely, I genuinely believe He it. just does some strange stuff. I mean, he can do, he's had some crap, he's on two or three very good games. I mean, in the derby, both derbies, he got man of the match in the first one when we won 2 1, and he was excellent in the second one. Um, and then he played well against Stoke when we won 1 0. Aside from that, he's been. Average to poor, and he hasn't scored any goals. He scored two goals, one against Chelsea, and in a defeat, and one against MK Dons in the cup in August. So, I mean, it just you know, it just hasn't worked. It, it's just been. Oh, Gareth, mate, just just stop. Do you want to do you want to speak about joking here at Newcastle? Instead? I just feel sorry for you. <laughs> no, so you sound so down. You know, I just think, you know. I do, I am, you know, come Monday I'll be more positive and it's just we need a result. I just think, I think it's mainly disappointing because we had the cup runs and we're so, you know, positive and passionate and like a lot of fans felt reconnected with the team and reconnected with the club. Um, we beat Newcastle obviously again and, you know, we're 14th in the league, we got out of the bottom three. 
and everything was going great. And then, you know, it's just classic Sunderland. It's just like, you know, kicking the nuts again and you just, you know, it's, you back down the bottom and you're just looking like, you know, how 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 on earth are you going to get out of it? Um, and, you know, we can't buy win at the moment. Do you think you'd actually be having more fun in the championship where, no disrespect, but it might be more competitive for you where you'd actually be winning more games, you it might actually be more fun at home. Is, is that something you've experienced before? So, well, the, the whole, like, something in the championships is a little bit of a miss because, in you know, we, we've been in the Premier League for... We're in, we're in the Premier League for four years under Reid. I mean, we, we got promoted to Peter Reid, we were in three years, got relegated. Then we were in the championship two years, got promoted, we were in the Premier League for four years. Then we got relegated, we were in championship for two years, got promoted again got relegated, then got promoted, and we've been for six years, seven years. So we've been in the in the Premier League in the last 15 years, more than we've been in the Championship. Um, but we've just never kicked on. You know, you see you see teams like Swansea. You know, I wrote a bit for a website last year, and, um, you know, it was when Swansea were in the Capital One Cup final, funnily enough, and uh, how they, you know, they'd won the Cup and they were celebrating, and I... Check the corresponding fixtures um, for our game. We lost at home, probably Sunderland. That's what they're going to do. The corresponding fixture on Cup final day for Swansea was something like they were playing, like, you know, Colchester. They were fourth bottom in the fourth division. And, you know, we were playing the Premier League when they were in there. You know, and we've been around the Premier League. All these years, we we've never kicked on like Swansea have, and Swansea get you know come up from the fourth division, and it's, that's the frustration. I take your point about the championship. I mean, we haven't finished lower than fourth in the championship since 1995-96. We've either won the league or been in the playoffs, so you know we're quite good in that league. But I mean, if we go down, the, the financial implications now are, are, are massive, and on top of that, I mean, as I alluded to earlier, we've got you know a lot of players on loan. There's a lot of players out of contract. And the irony is a lot of the players who are out of contract are probably championship quality and they're going to leave in the summer and they will get um they, they will get Premier League clubs and guarantee it. Um I mean Gardner's out of contract Larson, I think he's going to Germany, he's out of contract. Um Alonso will go back to Fiorentina. Um Jack Kovac's out of contract, um who's a local grown lad and that could be a blow if he leaves, even though he's a decent player. It's not nothing spectacular. So, yeah, at the moment it's just difficult. It's, it's you know the relegation. You know it's going to be a different prospect if we do go down trying to compete in the championship because it will literally be, you know, well you could be looking at a nine ten new players starting the season if we get relegated. I think. I mean, and if we stay up, we could be looking at six or seven. I mean. One of the things that people always were welcome about relegation, though, is a chance to, you know, clear out Deadwood and to blood a few youngsters. I mean, are there any particular youngsters that you, you have kind of in and around the setup? I hate that expression, but in and around the setup that could, could step in? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the, the director of football in the summer signed quite a few young players, but. A lot of his signs have been terrible, so we don't know. He's gone now, by the way, the director of football that we had. We deployed in the summer in, in June to sign 14 players to turn the football club around has now disappeared, along with most of the players that he brought in. Um, but he brought in some young players. 
I mean, Duncan Watmore, who was at Altringham, and he's he came and played a couple of cup games, look quite good. And he, he's out on Hibernian at the moment. You know, he's a young, you know, quick winner. Then you've got um, Elijah Barr, um, who was a young lad who came in um, from a French second division side, and it might have been Lav, I can't remember who. Um, and then we had um, Charis Marias, who's quite a highly rated Greek youngster. David Moberg Carlson from Gothenburg, we bought he's out on Kilmarnock, hasn't really made an impact, but I mean, you look at those players, I mean, Carlson and Mavrias between them cost £4 million. And um, they barely kicked the ball in the first team of the season. So, I mean, Marriott is the youngest Panathinaikos scorer in the Champions League. So, you know, I mean, he's looked all right when he's played. Um, so, he might, I mean, there is an opportunity there to blow those players. And obviously, there's, you know, the, the young lads in the, um, the, in, in the youth, youth setup who've been there for a while. But a lot of those are out on loan at, you know, clubs like South End and stuff like that. Louis Lang, who had a bad leg break. Um, John Egan, I think. Um, there's a few young centre-backs. They've gone out on loan, but it's a level of playing that. I mean, they're playing in the fourth division, essentially. Um, are they going to get an opportunity in the championship? If we go down, would you risk that as a manager? Is there a stick to right and chuck these players in and fail in the championship and be really struggling? Um, I'd... I, I don't know if it's cut and dry as, as you know, bringing them all in immediately. You know, it's it's about patience as well. How long will people wait for things to work? Well, uh, mate, this is come on. We we got to try and pick up your spirits a bit. Here. Um, we'll, we'll go. <laughs> we'll go for a few. Uh, we'll go for a few of our list of questions. Um, I I don't know why I'm saying we're going to try and pick your spirits up, but it's just you know. Let's try, at least. The first one I saw as well when you said pick up his spirits, the first one I saw was somebody asking, why do you call, call yourselves Geordies? We don't. Which yeah, is, exactly. is either, it's, a, it's either a joke or they don't get the, yeah, the northeastern geography. It's kind of like calling someone from Brighton a cockney, isn't it, really? But, <laughs> well, it's exactly like that. Um, but it, this, this one should hopefully cheer you up. When I say cheer you up, not at all. Um, Rob Glimpworth at Bogo One asks, is Joey, Josie Altidore the worst footballer anywhere ever in the history of football? No, he's not. Um, sorry, disappointing. Um, to be fair to Josie, he's, he's, done all, he's, he's done all right at times, um, but he's hasn't got that killer instinct. He's lacking confidence. I mean, the lads, you know, scored goals at international level. I know they don't play in the best um, quality group um, when in qualifying, but I mean, when he, just after he signed for Sunderland, he scored a battery against Bosnia. Bosnia, you know, if England drew Bosnia, um, you know, be worrying about getting a nil-nil draw out there or something like that, which seems to be the case. But you know, it's to a, be fair, you know, England do have Danny Welbeck playing up front for him as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's obviously a player in there somewhere, but he's on Twitter. Um, which don't think helps because, and he's a striker who costs six million pounds. He's got a lot of goals in Holland last season. It's quite a trendy thing to slag off players who've come from Holland. It's like become this new in vogue, or goals in Holland don't count sort of thing. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's a bit of a lazy criticism. Just think it hasn't worked. Um, doesn't fit into the system. I don't think he's intelligent 
to play for Gus Poirier. And he's not the, the not the quickest mentally. He can sort of telegraph what he's going to do. Um, defenders read him, but he can be a handful. I mean, I've seen. I'm a Sunderland supporter. I've seen a lot worse players than Josie Altidore, I'll tell you that. Andy Gray, John Stead. Um, I don't want to say anything bad about John Stead. He's from Huddersfield. No. He's back at town now as well, I think. Well, he was our he star was supposed signing. He the next big thing, wouldn't he? What was that, sorry? I was just saying he was supposed to be the next big thing, John Stead, wouldn't he? Yeah, he came to Sunderland. He wasn't. Speaking of which, how's so. Connor Wickham doing? Well, um, I, to be honest, I can't abide him. Um, I, I really was, you know, delighted when we got him because he was such a promising young lad. But I just think I spoke to a few people who've seen him, um, you know, a few like ex-players and stuff like that, ex-Sunderland players, people who work with youths, people who work as agents and stuff like that, and around that level of football, and. Well, the reports are never good. Um, his attitude is, um, you know, questionable. Um, it's a bit of a, you know, he hasn't scored that many goals in the championship in his career. I think he's only got about 22. Um, he had a good spell at Sheffield Wednesday, but that's, you know, he had a few injuries at, at Sunderland. But again, he's on Twitter, and I just, I don't, I just don't think it's a good mix. Footballs and Twitter, I think it affects things, you know, mentally. The, this is people. I mean, if I was going to criticise a player, I don't know what you guys are like, but when I'm on Twitter and stuff, I'll never, you know, include that player in in my criticism. But a lot of people will, and their criticism will be a lot less fair than mine. You know, it'll be abuse. The other night, happened after the game. Conor Wickham played the full game against West Ham. Didn't really make an impact. Um, you know, pretty average. Um, and. But to be fair, it's asking a lot of them to bring him back and put him in. But I think there's, you know, I don't think his attitude's great. I think there's been overriding factors and why he has more, had more opportunities. I think he's got to take responsibility for that himself. Um, but, you know, people having a go at him and then he tweets, posts a tweet up saying, the keyboard warriors are all out tonight. But you can't do that, especially when you're in a relegation battle. Um, it's, no matter what people are saying, it's just stupid. And immediately you drive that wedge. Um, you know, no matter what you think, so it's you know he, he's been, you know, he cost a lot of money again, and the price tags hung over his head eight million pounds, I think he was, and he he scored one Premier League goal in three years, I think, yeah, three. Yeah. Pretty shocking. I mean, he 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 looks like he's he's carrying a, a few extra pounds, even if I do say so myself. That's always been one of my observations of Conor Wickham. <laughs> he's not. He's not uh, fat. Well, the, you know, my you know my major criticism of him is that he seems more important. And, you know, he's more focused on whey protein and hair gel. You know, that just seems to be his main focus point <laughs> of his life. You know, he's, he's big into his you know weight and all that stuff, and you know, look, you know, getting muscular, looking good, and all that. But for somebody who has such a muscular frame, I've never seen anybody as big as he is who gets shoved off the ball so easily. Um, so I don't know I mean I don't know what's going on with him I just think it's just not work for him at Sunderland and his com- his confidence has gone down he's lashed out at times um, but he's, he's not working on his, he's not working on his, his core enough he's top heavy that's what it is that's why he's getting knocked out <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. 
But I wouldn't take any gym advice from me, mate. So I'm a slob. <laughs> yeah, well, join the join the club. But uh, he's um, yeah, you know, I think you know. To be fair as well, on Monday he was 21. You kind of forget he's been around forever, really. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think he just needs. He's only got a year left on his contract as well. For someone who's spent, who's spent eight million pounds on. Um, you know, he just made no impact whatsoever. You could argue he hasn't been given a chance, but you've, you've got to make your, you know, you've got to make yourself, you know, you've got to put yourself in the mindset, that the mind of the manager, and we've had yeah. how many. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Managers over that time, and he hasn't really made an impact with any of them. Do you know how much he's on a week? Well, I've got no idea. Too much. It'll be a fair whack, though, won't it? I mean, thinking about him at the age he is. I mean, I'm I'm the same age as I'm. I think I'm a few months older. But if I'd be making a Premier League salary, and like I've been looking through his tweets now, and they all seem to be asking where the hairdressers are yeah. in the town he's been loaned out to, so. He, he seems to be preoccupied with just spending the disposable money he has, which, as a person his age, I understand if I get a spare five or I want to spend it somewhere. And I just don't think, you know, the modern football environment might not be the the, the right place for for footballers that are young, especially English ones, because, as you say, he'll get sold for a premium because he's young English and supposedly going to be the next big thing. And that, that can't help but go to his head, really, can't no, it? We saw that with John Bostock as well at Spurs, didn't we? Exactly the same thing. Yeah. Well, he was the... John Bostock as well, yeah. The, well, look at uh, Michael Johnson at uh, City, Man City. Yeah. Um, he's obese uh, now, isn't he? No, he, he's he's one that is put on a few pounds if you want to be yeah, criticised. A few pounds. Um, I think he's heavier than me. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, he's... Um, you know, with Wigan, you know, the last memory I'll have of Wigan when he goes probably will be the Twitter search that was done when he um, he lost his dog and he had this big campaign on Twitter to find his pug that he'd lost in this expensive housing estate in Pontelan, which is near the airport just outside of Newcastle. Um, it's quite a posh estate where, where there's a lot of money there and he lost his dog. So he was on Twitter, find my dog, find my dog. In his Oh, did get found, by the way. So you know the wonder of social media. But I've just, you know, that's based, that's my overriding memory. That's how good he is at football. <laughs> that's Connor Wigan lost dog. I'd rather say personally to answer that gentleman's question before, or maybe if I remember, it was a man or a woman. 
It was we're non gender specific on Roll the Race. Don't worry about it, Gareth. Um, okay. <laughs> we've had one from Edward PRZ at Edward PRZ who says, uh, "Is there any talk about what your American owners will do if you are relegated?" Um, well, the the there's only one American, um, and that's Ellis Short. Um, you know, he's made some bad decisions. Uh, it, it was a year again going back it was a year ago yesterday when we appointed Paolo Di Canio and you know we were fourth bottom in the Premier League um, a year later we've had you know three managers if you include Kevin Ball who was a caretaker and we're third bottom in the Premier League um, so he's got to be accountable for those choices that he made um, when he got rid of Martin O'Neill, which, to be fair, I could see why. I think he went for Gus Poirier, but he couldn't get him. So he went for the Canio. Um, and, you know, the argument about whether he kept this up is, you know, neither here nor there. Nobody will ever know that um, because, you know, we were out of the relegation zone under a knee and he might have done something ridiculous, even though I do think he would have taken us down. So I think Shaw got that right. Um, but yeah, he's you know he's going to be accountable for some of the stuff. He's a he's a passionate guy. He doesn't do a lot of media stuff. But I think to think in the right way, you know that I've spoken to members, you know board members at the club a few times. You know, um, you know Margaret Burns are you know high up there with with Ellis. They're kind of the the main the main uh, the main two who who run the show, um, and they're both. You know, they're passionate about the club, they want the club to do well, but sometimes your passion's misplaced and you make bad decisions. And unfortunately, recently, there's been few too many bad decisions. And, you know, I don't think it'll have any effect in the championship. To be fair, Ellis Short, he's put a lot of money into the club and he has done some good things. Um, you know, they, they, the club have paid out their own pocket for stuff and our season tickets are always at a lower price. You know, our season tickets went down this season. Hopefully we will stay up in, in spite of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Ellis Short is his heart in the right place. I think he wants Sunderland to do well. He sees the potential. And I think, you know, if we're in the championship, they'll do the best they possibly can to keep the finances steady off the pitch, which is really important. And try and, you know, invest the money in the right places with the right people to, to get us promoted to the Premier League again. So there isn't a lot of vitriol there or anything from the fans directed to the owners? Not really, no. Um, to be honest, there's, there's very few dissenting voices against the, the upper echelons of the club. Um, people are you know, curious about certain things. I mean, the one thing that's come out of the top of the last year that might come back to bite them on the bum is uh, Margaret Burr made a comment saying, you know, it's a relegation model to sell your best players and not replace them. In the summer, we we sold um, Simon Minule, we let Danny Rose go back to Tottenham, and we sold Stefan Sessignon, um, who were arguably our three best players. And we I, didn't I, I like that you said that with, in a French accent as well there, Gareth, just casually well, went to... Yeah, Sessignon. Well, I try, so you've know, you got to try. So, yeah. I also like the fact that you named Danny Rose as one of your best players. Maybe that's, listening to it, Matt, that's probably where you got your do you, do you know what I did? It's funny. I I said, the the Spurs poet says, do you want us to... Yeah, he says he'll give him a lift back up there if you want him back. 
he, well, he's more than welcome. He was absolutely fantastic for us last season. Um, he was brilliant. Um, you know, he, he played with heart and desire, and you know, he he, you know, he he was great. He was the best left back we've had at the club in a long time since probably Michael Gray, um, which is about ten years ago. So we really we really wanted to sign him. He was he a player. Was, Michael Gray actually, he was a good he was a good footballer. Yeah. He, yeah, he was decent when when he, uh, you know, he had a, you know he had a good, a, a good spell at Sunderland in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, is he the lad with the long blonde hair? Um, well, he had short cropped hair, and then he had he had the, a variety of hairstyles over the years. But he played for England a few times. He was Sunderland Spice Boy. <laughs> he was actually yeah, him and uh, Nicky Sunderby and Mel Sykes had a bit of a thing. Who was that other was big it, lad you had with the big? Was it Thornton? Was it that used to play? Sean Thornton. Yeah, did he? Was quite a big lad. He used to have like big, silly blonde hair. Um. Yeah. I mean, Sean Thornton uh, ruined his career by pissing it up the wall. Basically, um, he 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 made his Premier League debut in the season. We got relegated with nineteen points. Um, when he was a young lad. He um, scored a brilliant goal against Chelsea. And uh, Zola went into the Sunderland dressing room after the game and sought him out and swapped, gave him a shirt. And he was like, you know, you're going to be a fantastic player. Um, and then, you know, he, you know, championship following few seasons, scored some great free kicks, um, fantastic, you know, long range efforts. Um, you know, he scored, you know, a Maradona-esque goal in one game where he ran the length of the pitch and beat like, five players and scored. Um, but unfortunately, he just liked alcohol too much and couldn't cook. Um, so he used to eat a lot of takeaways. <laughs> I once saw him at the cinema, and he was in the same film as me. He had this, he was wearing this all sort of like silver tracksuit. Um, <laughs> and uh, after the after this after the film, he went to the kiosk and bought nachos and a hot dog to take home with him. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, what a he, hero! He what sold, an athlete! Yeah, he got sold to Doncaster for one half million pounds. I think he was their record signing, and then um, just disappeared. Ended up on loan to like Shrewsbury and stuff, and then I think he ended up playing the League of Wales. Um, yeah, he just ruined his base. He just ruined his career. He could have been a very he good player, been- but. You can imagine the Donny Chairman be like, "Oh, you like it up here, lad? You like it? There's there's yeah. loads of kebab shops. You can get pizza anytime you want. It's brilliant." He's a. But actually, I remember when he signed. Um, it was like a record sign, and actually, I might be like, it wasn't even. It was about seven hundred thousand pounds he sold him for. Um, and when he signed, it was like one of these old like sort of chipboard tables, like we're just plonked on a pitch, like a school <laughs> table. And he like signed on this table. I just thought. This isn't going to end well. And it didn't really. So, yeah, it's a real shame about something because he could have been at some player and he just just wasn't. Sounds a bit like Dean Marnie at Tottenham who could have been a yeah. player but, but just wasn't. So, there you go. Well, I think you mentioned Dean Marnie every week. I do. Yeah, yeah, he, he did. He, he scored He scored. A, Couple of absolute screamers against uh, Everton in one game at White Lane, and everyone was like, "Hello, who's this?" You know, this kid coming up from the youth ranks. And then after that, it was like, uh, "No, he's he's yeah. just he's just poo." 
Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, we have. Well, let's 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 go on to the game. Let's go on to the game itself. Um, how how do you see it going, mate? Um, I think we'll probably lose just because we've got better players in Sunderland. But having watched, I mean, I felt it was okay one on Monday going into the game. I felt as though we might really fancied ourselves, especially as I watched Spurs a few times um, under under Sherwood, um, just for lols, really, just because you never know what's going to happen. Because you, you you know the defence and stuff like that is just ridiculous. Some of the mistakes that they make and some of the stuff to do is just ludicrous. Um, and you know, I just felt you know if we can get in the faces of those centre backs and. Um, you know, and, and, and get it, you know, Norton, McNaughton, sorry, and is it McNaughton or not? It's Norton, isn't it? I was right the first time. Yeah, Mc, McNaughton's at Cardiff, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just Norton. Yeah, would you like to send Norton to Cardiff? I'd send him anywhere. You can have him and Rose in a package. <laughs> to be fair, though, you know how people will call, like, a shit job a muck job? Calling, calling Norton McNaughton kind of works on yeah. that level. Yeah, yeah, that's a good shout. Um, but, yeah, um, I, feel, I felt as if we'd gone at them. Um, you know, we could do some damage, but it's just the confidence. Uh, and, you know, we, we've tried a different system the last two games. We've gone three in the back with wing backs, which I really like, and it's something that I was really keen to see Sunderland do the back end of last season. Um, I think we, was, we should, I think we should set up this to, to, you know, to nullify that threat um, that you've got, you know, you've got clever players around the box, like, like Ericsson, we can do something out of nothing. If we nullify Ericsson, you know, I, I feel as though the Tottenham fans might get a bit frustrated. I get the impression that all isn't well at White Hart Lane either um, at the moment. Not in the slightest. Um, so, so, yeah, I feel as though if we can just frustrate and then grow in confidence as the game goes on like we did against Liverpool, then I would fancy us to score against our Tottenham defence at the moment. Um, but maybe only once or twice. We haven't got the qualities, I mean, to, to push that. So we're going to have to score. I feel as though we're going to have to score twice in the game to get a result, um, which is going to be really tough. I mean, what what would you say are like your, your strongest points? I mean, you're particularly decent from set pieces. You're good in the air. What, where are you going to hurt us most? Um, at least where have you tasted success from um, in, in so far in this campaign? If you, if you can say, you've not, not to rub it in, if you've tasted much success at all. I'm trying to think um, off the top of my head. Barini's watched, quite good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, but it depends. I mean, you know, it's, it's a slow build-up that we play. Um, away from home, we're a bit more on the break. And if we play with uh, the three central defenders and the two screeners in Catamol and Brickcut, then the likelihood is we are going to be playing on the break, which means that you've threatened Johnson and Key if he plays them. He's gone, he's elected in a 3 5 2, essentially, he's played, or a 3 2 1 2, basically, is the, or something like that, as we, what he's been playing. Sorry, 5 2 1 2. So, like, two screeners, a attacking midfielder, and two strikers. Um, so, you know, it depends how he does it, but I mean, Barini, he plays Barini through the middle, he's the threat. Um, and that's, I would say it's, it's going to take, 
composure around the penalty area when we've got it um, and you know playing it's it's always decision <coughs> excuse me it's always decision making with Sunderland players you know don't make the right decisions um, give the ball away and it, it's going to be a case of rather than we've got an obvious threat it's going to be about whether or not the player makes the right decision at the right time that creates a chance and then we've got to score the chance because we haven't been doing much of that either at the moment you know those um, profiles and stuff they do on like the Guardian where it goes through like the plus points and the negative points of every team. Well, at the moment, well, all seasons have had no obvious strengths on every one of those. So Pretty I think that sums it, up, sums it up really. What can you see the score being if you if you if you were to call in? Um, I think it you know it might be a bit closer. Then, you know, I'm saying, to be honest, that maybe I would say probably two on Spurs. Um, and it might be one of those where you go into a decent lead and then we get back and you haven't quite just got enough to get back into the game after you put you under some pressure. You'll go away unhappy because even though you won, you put yourself under pressure at the end and we'll go away unhappy because we're there. We've... Um, you know, we've lost a game. Um, that's kind of the way I see it going. Um, but you just don't know. I mean, I think you know we could we, we could be capable of winning this game, but how shaky Spurs have been at the back. They might do something mental, like they keep on doing stuff, and I'm watching, going, "What on earth are you doing here?" Um, you know, that Chelsea game, for example, was just ridiculous. Um, you know, talk about you know. I, I mean. I, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, some of them scored about eight own goals this season, and that's no exaggeration. But I mean, some of the defending in that game was just, you know, phenomenal. So I've been absolutely pub for parts of it, like uh, at Tottenham, like uh, our back line this year. Yeah, I mean, what about you guys? I mean, how 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 confident are you feeling? The last time we spoke, Raj, I was talking here about Adebayor, funnily enough, and you know he's come back in the fall in the Sherwood, but. You know, at the moment, it just seems as though that, you know, Sherwood's just a, it's like, you know, watching the Canio all over again from a distance, to be honest. Exactly, that, that's, that's not, a very good comparison. I was going to say, that's not a great, great thing for him to, to have to sit through, is it? Um, uh, yeah, we did speak about Adebayo. I think the main thing to take away from it is how, um, how, much we rely on him now under this Sherwood way of playing because um, he's one of those players as, as I think we touched on that has to be the biggest man in the changing room and has to feel like he's wanted and has to feel like he's he's the big man and uh, he is doing under Sherwood because I think his goals and assists in terms of what he's contributed to the team under Sherwood is more than what Bale did last season which given how much we were accused of being a, a one-man side with Bale, it's almost gone the other way with Adibayo, where we genuinely don't really turn up if he's not playing. And although Soldado's played well in a few games, and I've said in the past, um, given that our season is, is pretty much over now, we've, we've really not got much else to play for. Um, even in this game, it's, it's just going through the motions, really, and waiting for the summer, where we're going to be seeing what's what exactly is going on. Um, I, I would have played Soldado now until the end. Whether or not he's fit or not is, is another matter. Um, I know Adibayo's back in training, but um, I think Adibayo's coming towards the end of his contract next year. So 
there's been a lot of talk of whether or not we'd want to or we will let him go this summer just because it'll be our last opportunity to get a fee for him before he can go off on a Bosman. So um, I'd actually back the plan to, to actually let him go just because you never know if we, when we do get a new manager in the summer, hopefully. Um, you don't know how he's going to react to that manager. You don't know how that manager's going to react to him. Um, I mean, as as good a professional as he is when he wants to be, um, when he doesn't want to be and when he falls out with somebody, often over the smallest of things, it, it can be disruptive. And whether or not you want to keep funding that and, and keep it at the club's an entirely different matter. So, I mean, it was almost a prediction from yourself that Adibayo would come and play a, a bigger bigger part in our season but the fact that he um the fact that he only plays when he when he really feels like it is is, is a cause for you i mean jack do you feel the same about him well Addy, yeah you, you know you've called it he's got a checkered past um at every club he's gone to and we, we've discussed it at length on here before that he's obviously a fantastic player um and he could have been probably one of the very best but you, you feel like his chance has gone now he knows it and pretty much everyone else knows it and the problem is, you know, Sherwood has Sherwood's been clever in that he's galvanised Adebayor, which has in turn aided the team's performance. But if you, if we're talking about bringing in someone like Louis Van Gaal, he's not going to pander to an ego like that at all. He he's going to want players that want to play um, because you know they've got it in them to they've got that desire and that fight. They don't just want to be seen as like the big man in the team, which. You know, as we said, it's exactly. about Adebayo is his problem, his God complex. Um, well, there's that, there's that story of Van Hal, isn't there? That famous one where one of his players accused him of not lacking, of, of lacking ball, sorry, not, not lacking balls. That's a double negative. That was <laughs> absurd English. Um, yeah, one of his players accused him of lacking balls. So he took a team talk with his trousers around <laughs> his ankles just to prove that he had bollocks, which is, is the type of character he is. I mean, he's, he's mad as a box of frogs, but he's an absolute maverick in terms of what he's achieved. I mean, it's it's been a little while since he's done it at the very highest level, but um, even he knows that a job like Tottenham would probably be his swan song, and um, he'd happily take retirement after that because he's not going to be struggling for pennies. So um, I'd, I'd happily see somebody like that come in, but I think we've we've taken the question and ran with it quite far enough now. What about... Yeah, um, let's... Sorry, I was oh, just going to say... Well, you know, the, it's funny because when I, I've watched, I've seen Tottenham, they've been on the television quite a lot this season, Tottenham, so I've seen quite a bit of them. And what I kind of saw was, you know, he, Sherwood got a lot of stick for the, the 4-4-2. I, I mean, I don't like the 4-4-2, but the 4-4-2 basically with no defenders at all um, in any position apart from centre-back, basically. He was just playing like, you know, tap, like all these tap-minded players. Um, and then he did quite well, I mean, like the, was it the best start of a new Tottenham manager ever or something ridiculous like that and then um, yeah. then um, it seems though as he's got more pragmatic they've got worse like I mean I don't agree I don't really agree that the way you want to do it at the start is the way things should be done personally it's not really I don't think that's like the future and I don't think he can sustain that but I think it's unusual that like, when he's gone maybe he's, he's played like one up front at times and avoided that sort of Four four two that he was almost knocked for seems as the results have deteriorated. Now is that because is that because he's changed the system? Is that just because the new manager bounce has worn off? Is it just because he's lost it and he wasn't? You know, I mean, I'm I'm curious to know how he had such such a good start and then the wheels have kind of come off to such an extent. I think it's I think it's that middle one, mate. I think the 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 
the glamour of the new manager to wear off. Um, he's obviously come in, he's inherited a squad that was perhaps severely um, restricted in what it was allowed to do. It, you know, a, a lot of under his philosophy was, was not really giving strength to the individual, as it were, um, and some players will flourish in that system and others won't. Um, but I think Sherwood, yeah, his, his immediate thing was to come in and take the shackles off, as the old saying goes. And so, you know, get out there, express yourself, lads, fucking run around a bit, as Harry Redden boys used to say. Um, and it, it, it's right, as you say, as Sherwood has started to kind of put together somewhat of a more cohesive approach to his play, it's just it's now that you're starting to see he's he's just he's a coach he's you know he's a man he's a man manager he's a motivator he's the sort of person that you want perhaps around the team but not as your manager not yet he's just he's he hasn't got it in him you know he played he played Gilfie Sigurdsson as a defensive midfielder versus the the best attack in the country you know it's it's it's, it's moves like that you, you just wonder what the hell he's doing really um Thanks so much for your time this evening, mate. No problem. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye bye. bye. Cheers, Gareth. I feel a lot happier and more energised now after that one. No, thank you very much for, for giving us your time, of course, mate. But cheer up, you miserable bastard. Come on. It's not like not like you'll ever catch us moaning, would you? <laughs> no, I was about to say. I mean, at least he's got a decent reason to be moaning. Um, I mean, I'd... As much as we say that a year in the championship would, might actually be a good experience for Tottenham and might actually bring some sort of life and soul back to the club and the fan base, I mean, that process of going down in the despondent manner that Sunderland appear to be um, mustn't be fun at all. No, I can't imagine it would be, especially in the in the manner in which they're doing it, which is just a... Do you just forget to reply to me then? Hello? Yeah? What do you mean? You just went silent for a minute. I thought you were ignoring me. No, I think your internet's shite, mate. It's not mine, it's yours. It's not mine, it's yours. Are this a production meeting anyway? It can't be on air. Uh, I, was, I was purely saying that, uh, it, especially in the manner in which they are doing it, it's it's going to be pretty awful, isn't it? Like, just uh, just to... T- capitulation like it's, no one wants to see their team lose there doesn't even look like there's much of a fight there for a lot of their players but hopefully it won't be against us either um, now there's been a bit of news this week or today at least that Barcelona are banned from playing players for the international trafficking of minors um, and that's for two transfer windows now that's obviously restricting the options of a Messrs. Jan Vertonghen and Hugo Lloris. Do you see that being a hindrance to them actually leaving the club? Because they're, they're arguably the two players that are going to be angling for a move this summer. Um, I think I don't think that that ban will actually come into place for Barcelona this summer. I mean, if you cast your mind back to... I use that phrase a lot, don't I? Do I use the phrase cast your mind back quite a bit? I feel like I do. Anyway, I think, so. um, you I think remember, it's, it's, um, it's the immediate effect, though, isn't it, right? Yeah, you remember uh, Chelsea um, with Gail Kakuta? Theirs was supposed to be immediate. But um, what you do is you you uh, 
you appeal it, you stick it through the court of arbitration, and you essentially do, um, you just kind of stick it in the courts for as long as possible. And while it's there, and while it's not proven, while the the band's being contested, you can't bring it into bring it into force. I don't believe. So um, you'll have um, you'll have what am I trying to say? You'll you'll have them this summer being able to buy players. So if, if they want to go there, and if Vertonghen wants to go there, then they'll most likely be able to this summer. I don't think um, I don't think they'll be buying Hugo Lloris, uh, Barcelona specifically. Um, I think they've got stronger ties to uh, to stay and go in there, and possibly now that um, Valdez has been injured, he may well stay if his deal with Monaco breaks down as well. And they've got Ter really setting soon. Ter Stegen as well, haven't they? I just said that to stay in. Just. Um, there you go. Uh, yeah, from Munchen Gladbach, and he's come out today and he said, regardless of whether or not Barcelona have have got that in place, he's leaving the club. Um, so you, you didn't just say that. You're making that up. I did. You, I did. You just didn't hear it because you're into that shit. Um, and then you know, centre back wise, Puyol might have to sign another year um, to avoid them having. Being left alone, Puyol and Capu could like do a double act. I was going to say base names. Who? Made me laugh. Yeah, Puyol. And... <laughs> we haven't done any Capu jokes for a while. I think we they got a bit tired, didn't they? We've grown up a bit. Yeah, we're post. We're post Capu. Is that what era of podcasts are in now? Post Capu. That's it. We can make we make <laughs> Sol Dudu jokes now. There you go. <laughs> That's awful. Uh, did you see yeah. that? Gary you can thank Arsenal for that. Well, yeah, when he said, um, what is it, that watching Soldado play makes me realise I wasn't actually shit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the least advised thing I've ever seen. I mean, he's supposed to be a club legend and what have you, and that sort of thing's not going to help. And I mean, especially for someone like Soldado, who I, I genuinely actually do feel sorry for, because it's not like he's... He's lacked any effort or anything like that, and he's, it's not like he's not trying. And especially with his troubles off the field as well as on of it, um, I feel like I've, I've got certainly got more empathy for him than I do other other players um, in their current situations and them coming in. I mean, he always he handles himself quite professionally in terms of social media and what he says there, and seems to have quite a nice friendship with with Sandro driving him to training and everything. So, I mean, I'm I quite like him as a man I think he's actually quite quite a nice bloke and he's, he certainly seems to be trying a lot and it's not like he's you know if you remember Pavlachenko who just seemed to give up after a while I don't think that's that's in Soldado's character whatsoever uh, he's got um, a smashing haircut as well he puts on the Southampton lads to shame with his hipster hairdo <laughs> yeah he's fantastic but um I don't know what else we've got to talk about, really. I mean, Loris, I wouldn't stand in the way if you wanted to go. I actually feel quite sorry. Mate, for have you have you because... seen that video of him storming off? People, I can't remember who it was. Someone was saying the other day, "Oh, Loris, you know, you kind of get the feeling he's not going to be one of those characters that really, when the chips are down, gives it his all." Fucking that, completely the opposite, mate. Completely the opposite. There's this video that surfaced um, of Lyon when they blew a two-goal lead. And you just have Loris walk storming back to the danger room after the game. And they've translated it into English um, via subtitles. But he is he is screaming at the top of his voice so loudly, like a drill sergeant. It's actually going hoarse. He's just shouting like, fucking bullshit. This is fucking bullshit. We're shit. You guys all need to fucking back your ideas up. Just going absolutely mad. 
And I can only imagine how he is feeling at the moment because what I will give the lad is he's taken a lot of tonkings that I don't think he's deserved at all this season. And as a goalkeeper, it reflects particularly badly on him to be on the end of a 5-0 defeat. Yet every single game I see him at, he seems committed, he seems professional and seems to just give it his all. He doesn't give up. Even when we're 3-4-0 down, he's diving across his goal for everything, you know? We've said before he's the least French person we've ever seen before in our lives. He's not given up once. Um, there's no white flag for him. He's not given up. He's not let anyone invade his country. Um, or, no, sorry, it's a historical joke, that one. Um, but yeah, he's. I mean, I won't stand in his way and let him not leave this summer, actually. He's really good. He should be playing in the Champions League, quite frankly. Um, if we could get another year out of him, obviously, I'd want it. Um, and I think one of the scenarios that I tweeted out from our account was... Um, if Sherwood was to go, and hopefully he is, and then um, we were to announce a manager to be coming after the World Cup, whether that be Van Hal or whoever, somebody of of some sort of stature and somebody established, would that hopefully change some of the players' attitudes towards leaving the club? Would they then see that, you know, although the last season they've spent at the club's been pretty much a write-off, that maybe we are again building towards something that they perhaps want to be part of. I think we said the same thing might... when AVB was coming in. Well, I mean, the only player we lost when AVB came in was was Modric, really, and I mean, he probably was our best player at the time. But um, I, I don't really know who who's our best player currently. Who who would we really worry about losing apart from Lloris? I don't think there's anyone that I would shed too many tears over going. I think Vertonghen's yeah. a very good player, but I do, as I've said before, I do think Spurs fans have fallen into a habit of massively overrating him. Yeah, not only that, and the fact that they overrated him so much last season, and the fact that now he's become the pantomime villain for, for this time being, um, it's gone the other way. So people this morning when the Barcelona news was announced, uh, Tweeting their disappointment that we couldn't sell them, sell him to them in the summer, and it just seemed a very odd reaction. I mean, I wouldn't be against him staying whatsoever, but you know, at the end, he's not someone that I'm so attached to that I wouldn't want to see. I think I've got to that age now, and that sort of view of football as a, I kind of see him as a commodity in this day and age. That you know, you come and you go, and the most important thing is you know the badge on their shirt. So I'm I'm not really asked. No, definitely, mate. I I think one player I really would want to see us hold on to is Christian Eriksen. Um, I do yeah. think I think he's a lad that he. Uh, not to say he's going to be as good as Modric or Bale, but I think he is going to be a player of that importance to us in a couple of years. I think he's really going to. He seems to have steadily improved over the course of the season. Um, and I, I just think he, he, he looks like a class act. His first touch, the way he kind of, it seems like he's already, he, he's just, he's got that brain whereby he's already thinking about what he's going to do with the ball before he receives it. And thus seems to, his first touch and the way he shapes his body to just kind of move into the space that even you don't see when you're watching it as a spectator. You just think, yeah, he's a player like this lad he has it. He's not perfect yet, and he's not all the way there, but 
he's he's just he's got a lot in his locker already and he's still very young um i think he's gonna be a, a real real talent for us in a few years time yeah even now he's been he's been well yeah of course in, in fits and starts um i mean i'll be interested to see how the um oft forgotten lamella performs and Soldado hopefully in his second season and Sandro should have a World Cup off and be able to get himself fully fit and rearing. And I think that's a real spine of the side. And as long as we keep them together and and that and then hopefully we'll keep them. But I mean, I mean there's not really much for us to say anymore. I don't hopefully know Polinio can get something of a rest. Yeah, I mean he's gonna be knackered with that World Cup, but you know. He's he's shown as well that he's not a bad footballer. Um, it's just that, you know, he's, it's odd. He, he, again, is in fits and starts. I mean, it's not been an ideal season for them. They've had no continuity whatsoever. They've had a manager who's obviously tried to implement them in a certain manner when they had AVB, and then the upheaval with Sherwood and the manner in which he wants to play being so off, uh, so so far away from what AVB has brought before. I almost said awful then. <laughs> and although that's true, it's probably a bit harsh. Um, and then it's... You know, understanding a manager like that who's had nothing about him, they've obviously been sold something in the summer to come to us rather than other clubs that will have been interested. And we, we know we're not only reportedly interested, but we've outbid or we've outsold our club and things. So they've been shown around our new state of the art training centre, I'm sure, and they've been sold a line about the players that have been here before the Modric's, the Bales, the Van der Vaarts of this world that we've had, the Champions League aspirations that have been sent. PDF attachments of this new stadium they should be playing in a handful of years and people must buy into that as professionals their agents must be um, you know, must buy into it and sell them it's a good place I'm sure Daniel Levy and Franco Baldini talked the talk in the summer and got them here um, players like Lamella who we paid an awful lot of money for and Roma if they could have kept him would have done um, you know and then to have that all thrown in the faces within months I'm not entirely sure whether that's the best best uh, working environment for all of them. So, I mean, I, I can only apologise for us being so negative all the time, but I, I don't really know what people expect from us given the season that we've had. We're not um, we're not negative. We're lovely. We're realistic, if anything. I mean, there's that Cribs lyrics saying I'm a realist, and I think that pretty much sums us up. Have you just been gone quiet now because I've quoted the Cribs? A little bit, yeah. They're a good band. They're I don't really like them. Whatever shit you listen to. Well, anyway, I... just do do the URL thing and go away so that I can edit this and put it up. I can't be asked talking about Tottenham anymore. No, it's miserable, isn't it? What about True Detective? How are you finding it on the second watch, mate? Um, uh, just as good. Um, we've watched two episodes, I think, now. Um, I don't think my mum's buying into it as much. But it's not really got into it as much. Um, she's she's not really impressed by Matthew McConaughey as much as I was, and um, my dad seems to enjoy it because he he likes that sort of thing. But you know, my mum would probably much rather watch something else. But she, she'll come around, I'm sure. Well, there you go. You can uh, if you if you're obviously enthralled by what we've put out for you this evening. You can listen to the previous episode. Humdinger. <laughs> <laughs> It'll get better. It'll get better next year. Honest. Next we season. Yeah. We may as well just stop recording them for the rest of the year. We'll do. We sound like Daniel Levy, don't we? It'll be better next year. We promise. 
Um, yeah, do can you do the um, URLs and you shall Campbell voice, please? No, I'm not doing that again, mate. I'm not performing with Monkey, okay? <laughs> That's exactly what you are. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> um, I'm not. Um, you can listen to, obviously, all the previous episodes of Roll the Roost podcast at SpursStatman.com and follow the SpursStatman Twitter account at SpursStatman, which is original. Um, that's all run by the boss, JP. Um, you could also listen to all the episodes on iTunes and on the Buzzsprout website. You can follow our Twitter handle at RTRSSM, which is it's a mixture of me and Raj, mainly Raj when it's sweary and angry at Arsenal fans. And normally me when it's sweary and smug at Tottenham fans. That's the way we roll. Um, But yeah, stop listening. Go away. See you later. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.